0: We just sang my favorite hymn, great is thy faithfulness. I told Allie, I said, at my funeral, that has to be be sung. If I die before you, that needs to be sung. Great is thy faithfulness. Because one of my favorite passages of Scripture is that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Um, And what we're going to see tonight is that Jacob doesn't get treated as his sins deserve. His family doesn't get treated as they deserve. They get lavished with blessings and provision. Um, it's, it's really unbelievable. And so we're going to journey through the rest of 46 and, and all of 47 tonight. Um, and, uh, and some of you, the illustration I'm about to, to talk about, some of you are, are going to know firsthand. You're going to be like, oh, been there. Um, and, and some of you are going to be like, I can understand that. Because we've all talked or you've heard of or you've been this person. You talk to the parent and you're like, hey, how can I pray for you? And you're like, my child just got their license right and so they're like um if you ever had a 16 year old and they get their license and you're like they're going away for the first time you know then they're like uh pray that i don't worry myself to death pray that they drive safe pray for everybody else on the road that they drive safe you know um and because like that's that's a really big deal so imagine for some of you, this probably wouldn't be too hard. But imagine sending your, your teenager out on a simple errand. And you're like, hey, go get some milk. Um, or go, go check on, on your, your sister or your brother. And, uh, and they don't come back from that simple errand. It's been way too long. You know. And you're like, well, I don't want to worry, but maybe I should pull out the phone and check where they are on the GPS. Um, but like, they don't come back. And then one of their siblings comes back and says, hey, um, so-and-so's dead. And you're like, huh? And you never get to see them again. And there's no body. And you're like, this is really grim. But then, 22 years later, you are told by the same siblings that your child is alive. And not only are they alive, but they're in charge of the, the largest kingdom in the known world. And you're like, I don't believe you. That's, that's unbelievable. That's hard, hard to hear, right? Like, how, how is it possible that all of the grief that I've been experiencing over the past two decades is now reversed? You're telling me that, did you lie to me? Right? Like, this is all of what Jacob was experiencing and what we saw at the end of chapter 45 last week. But then we saw that he believed Right? Jacob believed the words of Joseph because of the wagons that he saw. Right? They were, the wagons were the evidence proving that the words were true. Right? And so Jacob starts his journey down to Egypt with his family. And so as he prepared to go on this journey... He's met by the Lord as he worships the Lord and, and, and offers sacrifices. He's met by the Lord, and the Lord reminds him of his nature, reminds him of his promises and says, I won't leave you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to bless you, and, and you're going to be a great nation even in Egypt. My word will come true because I will be with you. And so he's, he's spurred on by this, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 46. So him, his, his family— the whole caravan is coming down all the children all the wives all the grandchildren and they're they're heading to meet Joseph in Egypt now what we're going to read tonight as we wrap up 46 and go into 47 is this beautiful reunion between Joseph and Jacob and we're going to see how the Lord provides provision for these sojourners because they're traveling Right, and So these, th- that's probably the greatest theme, if I had to give it a theme for tonight, would be like the word sojourn. These sojourners, they're, they're temporary travelers. They're not settling down in Egypt. They're going to stay there for a little bit and they're going to get way more than they ever thought possible in the midst of a famine, much more than they deserve. And so we're gonna see God's mercy lavished upon this family in a foreign land. Um, and uh, as we read, starting in verse 28 of chapter 46. Let's pray before we dive in to read God's word together. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your word tells us that you are Jehovah Jireh, that is the the God of our provision. You provide for us. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. You have provided us with not only life now, but the hope of eternal life forever with you. You've made a way when there was no way. You've given us your word. You've revealed yourself to us through your word and your son. And now we have an opportunity right now to be so thankful to read your word. And for your Holy Spirit to speak and to convict our hearts and to remind us that this world is not our home that we are sojourners passing through temporarily and that you're preparing a place for us and that you always provide. Lord, and we, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And I pray that right now you would speak as we continue walking through this narrative. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 28, this is Genesis 46 he that is Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen and they came into the land of Goshen so it's incredible if you pause just for the a brief second here Judah you remember the son who betrayed Jacob right the one who lied to Jacob and said hey he's dead but the one who repented to Jacob, the one who was forgiven, the one who was reconciled to his brother, the the leader of all the brothers. Here, he's getting a second chance to lead his family. He goes out in front of his family. So, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God of second chances. Verse 29, Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. How beautiful is it that the ruler doesn't wait, but runs to meet his family. He doesn't sit back and wait in the palace, but yet he he goes out, he gets up, and he runs to meet. He gets in his chariot, and he flies out there to meet his family. He can't wait anymore. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So, backtrack. After 22 years of not being with one another, of thinking one's dead and I don't know if dad's still alive, Jacob and Joseph are reunited, right? So this scene, although it's a couple verses, the emotions are super high in this scene. He wept, right? It's really hard for us to comprehend to put ourselves in, the, in, in, in their shoes, right? He, they, they wept on one another's necks, right? Like he, he uh, just, just think about this for a second. Jacob sent Joseph out in chapter 37 when he was 17 years old to go check on his brothers. And 22 years goes by. And he thinks he's dead. Now, Joseph is 39 years old. He's 39 years old, and he's weeping on the neck of his father that he thought he'd never see again. He had no clue, right? And what's Jacob's response in verse 30? Now I can die. Now I know that you're alive, Joseph, so let me die. That seems a little bit melodramatic for Jacob, right? It's like, thanks, Dad. Good to see you too. You know, it's been a long time. You want to die now? Right? I hope you picked up on how many times it said the land of Goshen. Because it's super important. It's emphasized a ton. Not only in this paragraph, but in chapter 47, which we're about to see. Because that is the dwelling place, the temporary dwelling place for God's people. And it's the best of the land. And it says that over and over again. And as we read in 47... I want you to have this in mind. The name Goshen means place of plenty and comfort. So when you think Goshen, think plenty, comfort, prosperity, security, right? Like fertility, all of that happens for God's people and not even in the promised land. So this is where God's people will go to dwell temporarily. And Joseph didn't want his father and his brothers to be assimilated into the Egyptian culture or exposed to their false gods. And so he strategically places them in the Northeast part of Egypt, not in the heart of Egypt, but in the Northern Eastern part of Egypt. We have a map we're going to put up on the screen. I hope you can see it. Um, I took this. If you have a a study Bible, this is just a picture from the back of your study Bible, but um, you can see Canaan up there in the far right. So they traveled down South west over to area of Goshen over here. So Egypt is far left over here. Um, and you remember Joseph married a, a woman uh, from the, the priest of On right there. There's the town or the city of On. It's right beside where it says Goshen. So the land of Goshen. And then you'll see Ramses right there because that's mentioned in 47 as well. That's the town where they were in. All right. And so it's amazing how strategic this is placed because this is the northeastern part of Egypt, you see the tip of the Red Sea there, and that's where they would exit during the Exodus. So they wouldn't have to be in the heart of Egypt or on the western side of Egypt or southeastern or southwestern side of Egypt. They were at the northeastern side of Egypt, closer to the promised land. So God's preparing ahead of where they were going to be. And all of this was because of God's wisdom given to Joseph so that he would provide for his family, right? So that his, um, his dreams were coming true. We're, we're still seeing them come true, right? And, and, and we see Jacob's family go from famine to fortune, right? From, from barren land to fertile land, from being poor to being prosperous, and we see that Joseph gives his fathers and his brothers a little insider information in this latter part of chapter 46. Because they don't know anything about the Egyptian culture, right, that they're going to temporarily live in. And so he said, hey, just to let you know, you're not going to be liked. Not only are you Egypt, not Egyptian, but you're shepherds, which are an abomination to the Egyptians. They don't like shepherds. Okay, so this is like your occupation, think, think cultural degradation, shame lowly, right? Nobody's going to look on you in a good light, much like in Jesus's day when shepherds were considered social outcasts in society. And so this, this is not an admirable occupation for the Egyptians, but this is what God uses nonetheless to place them in the best area in the land in preparation for the future. So let's go ahead and dive into chapter 47. Verse 1, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers were with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. A little participatory uh, socialization. Like he's he's like, hey, they're already there. Pharaoh hasn't even given them the land yet, but he's going to. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? Joseph knew he was going to ask, right? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they, sa- they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn, there is that word again, in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Pharaoh immediately wants to know what these men do for a living, right? He's like, how are, are y'all, I know you're Joseph's brothers, but how are y'all going to fit into the Egyptian economy? Like, what are y'all, y'all going to bring? What are you going to contribute to the Egyptian economy? And the brothers tell him, we're shepherds. That's what we've done our whole life. That's what our fathers and our fathers' fathers have done. And we've only come to sojourn in the land, and we're already in Goshen, right? And so, like you you clearly see like sojourn goshen these are themes okay and so they're trying to say we're not here to dwell long we're going to be temporary travelers we're just passing through it's a famine we don't know how long that you know we're just going to be here until we need to get away and so pharaoh very graciously tells joseph give your family the best the best that egypt has to offer when it comes to land he lets them settle In the land of Goshen. And he wants Joseph's brothers to keep watch over his own livestock. So think about this. Pharaoh has seen Joseph. He's observed Joseph. He knows Joseph is wise. He knows Joseph's God is powerful. He knows that Joseph can interpret dreams. He's seen Joseph's leadership skills. He knows that his kingdom is blessed because of Joseph. Um, And I'm sure Potiphar has built Joseph up to Pharaoh as well, even before all of this. And so Pharaoh's like, If his brothers are anything like him, I want them working for me. I want them to look after my cattle. I want them to work after my flock, right? And so he's like, if you got any more able men, anybody like you, put them in charge of my stuff, right? Because he's looking for, what's Pharaoh looking for? Able men, men like Joseph, who are honest, who are diligent, who are disciplined, who are hardworking. Because he knew that if you got men like that in the workforce, then Egyptian economy is going to thrive, it's, it's going it's to go pretty well. Uh, but unbeknownst to anybody else, Jacob's family would live in that land for hundreds of years. But they would thrive. They would be prosperous. They would be fertile. They would grow into a great nation. It's a great reminder for us today. Right? For, for us today as Christians in 2022. Someone once said, um, and I think this is true, You can think about it in your own life, but like everybody that you encounter is either in a storm, a life crisis, or they're coming out of a storm, or they're going into a storm. Every single person, right? That's where we all are, no matter what you're currently facing, what you're, probably going to go in that you don't even know you're going to go into or what you're coming out of right now the fact remains the truth remains that God knows where you're going to be God knows where you are right now he knows where you're going to be and he knows how you're going to come out of it just like he did for Israel just like he did for Jacob's family God is prepared he's never caught off guard He he always knows where you're going to be. He always knows what you're going through, right? And, And he's already made provision for you. He already made provision for Jacob and for his family. He sent Joseph ahead of him, right? Knowing that this would happen, that they would survive in the famine, that they wouldn't be wiped off the face of the earth, right? God always provides for his people. He never fails. It's unbelievable. And I love it when in your own personal life, you get little glimpses, and little reminders of God's provision, right? For, for me growing up, it was like my dad got laid off multiple times. He's an airline mechanic. And, um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And, and, uh, and when, when dad was, we laid off, like I was like, how are we going to pay bills? I'm not worried about that because I'm a little kid. But like it was fascinating to me where we would see just money show up in the mailbox, like cash in envelopes. And, and now I knew later that that was God's church providing for my family. Because dad got laid off, and he was unemployed. And, and recently, like, since we moved up here, we've only been up here for about 15, 16 months, our, our little boys, Titus and Case, went to the dentist for the first time since we moved up here. So They hadn't been in a while, and surprising to us, uh, they had cavities. And so I'm like, I've never had a cavity in my life. How do my children have cavities? Um, but they eat a lot of candy. So the, the dentists were like, um, they need to get those taken care of. And I'm like, awesome. How much is that going to cost? Well, a little over $900. I'm like, fantastic. That was not in the budget. You know, not in the monthly budget. And so I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I get mail, um, I don't open it immediately. You know, it kind of stacks up on, on the desk. And so, like, if whoever gets the mail, we'll just go get it and stack it up. If it looks important, we won't throw it away. It looks like a bill. We'll probably set it on the desk. And so I'll get around to opening it later. Well, there was a stack of mail on my desk. And I got around to opening one letter that I was like, this doesn't look like a bill. You know, it's probably, I don't know what it is. But it was a letter from a deacon at the church where we, where we moved from. And I haven't talked to this guy in over a year. Okay? And it was a long letter, super nice letter, very eloquent and, and he was like, hey, man, I just wanted to say thank you guys. I hope your, your ministry's going well. Like, we love you guys. We miss you guys. Um, we're thankful for how you invested in our children's lives when you were here. Um, the Lord's blessed us recently, and we wanted to bless y'all. So here's a $1,000 check. And I was like, what? Like, complete surprise. That had been sitting on my desk for weeks. And I had no idea how we were going to pay this dental bill. And I was like, this is, like, I was just blown away. Like, just standing there. Like, great is your faithfulness. Like, this is unreal. This is how God provides, but he does that all the time. It's unbelievable. Why? Why is it shocking when we think about it? Because this is who he is. This is his character. This is his nature, right? Like, he sees us. He knows what you're going through. Like, he provides for us. He he knows what you've gone through. He knows what you're going through right now. He knows what you're going to go into that you have no clue, right? He knows the conversations you're going to have at Thanksgiving with family. He knows the potential there. Even when we fail to open our mouths, he can still use you, right? He knows what you're going through. And so why don't we trust him more? Why don't we trust him more? Because his plan and his provision is far better than all of our plans and all of our plotting, all of our scheming. And we need to trust that the Lord knows. Jacob had no clue. He was afraid. He was scared to go, to leave Canaan, to go down to Egypt. He had to remember God's promises by God telling him his word I'm here. I haven't changed. I'm never going to change. I'll be with you. I will fulfill my word. I have a plan. I will prosper you. Trust me. I have a home for you, a temporary home nonetheless, but it's a home, right? So God has a home for us, Christian, temporary while you're sojourning here on the earth, but yet I'm preparing something way better for you because he always provides even if you're outside the promised land. He always provides. So let's pick back up with the text in verse 7. We're about to see an interaction between Jacob and Pharaoh. And then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojournings. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. So once again, Joseph's dreams have come true, providing for all of his family. Now his father is there as well. And in in the ancient world, this interaction between these two leaders, okay, In the ancient world, the greater person always blessed the lesser. And in this interaction, we see the patriarch of Israel coming face-to-face with Egypt's Pharaoh. And now, we don't know how old Pharaoh is, but he's probably not as old as Jacob. Because Joseph has referred to him as, I've become like a father to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh kind of looks up to Joseph. And if he's not that old then Jacob's probably decades, decades, decades older than him, especially because Pharaoh realizes this, that that Jacob's been around a while. He's been around the block, and so he's like, hey, um, how old are you? Because for them, old age pointed to wisdom and divine favor. And so Pharaoh asks, how old are you? And he's respecting him. This is not like a, a tearing down. Okay? He's respecting him, and, and Jacob, when it says Jacob blessed Pharaoh, this is not like God blessing Jacob. This is like, um, think of like a, oh, hail the king, or may the king live forever, like a salute okay, to his position and his power. And so Pharaoh uses these, this very interesting phrase. He says, the days of the years, and that's said five times in this brief interaction. Okay? And it's super important. Jacob's answer to Pharaoh is very telling. He doesn't say the days of the years. He says the days of my sojournings. Right? It's right there in the text. He doesn't say I've lived 130 years on this earth in my life because Jacob's not wrapped up in how long he's lived. Right? He, he's not wrapped up in this world or or. or He knows, he knows that it's not been long. My sojournings have been 130 years. I'm just passing through this world. This is just temporary. I'm just passing through. But my years, although they're way more than yours, Pharaoh, have been few and evil. Um, Other versions say few and unpleasant or few and difficult, right? And so Jacob's saying, my years have been short, but they've been wicked. My years have been little, but they've been bad. And you're like, that sounds like it's not little. You lived 130 years. Compared to his father and his grandfather, who lived 175 and 180 years respectively, that's pretty little. And so Jacob's life has been a struggle. If you think back, on his life. It's been a struggle. It's been a fight. He's been a striving, right? It's been difficult since his birth when he was holding on to his brother's ankle, right? Like, he always fought with Esau, and then with his father Isaac, and then with his father-in-law Laban, and then with his wives, and his concubines, and then with his children, and with his God. Like, all Jacob's life, he wrestled with all of them. His entire life was a journey, it was a sojourning. It was a not settled down. And as I was, I was reading this and I was studying it, I was like, what about the years of your life? What about the days of the years of your life? Like, think about that. And For, for the past few months in my life, I, every time I get down with the word of God in a, in a journal or a piece of paper, I don't write the date anymore. I've been writing the days of, that I've been alive well before I started reading this passage or studying this passage. And I've been writing like 13,070 days of mercy. That's how many days God's shown mercy to me. Right, like, and there, you can go to Google and type in how old am I and there's a lot of calculators. You just put in your date of birth and you'll be like, whoa. I've lived that many months, that many days, that many minutes, and it's shocking right, to go through and, and read those things. I've laughed that many times, probably more than others. But as I've been writing these things down, I've been thinking about the days of the years of my life and really just how short it is. Think about the days of the years of your life compared to eternity. What is that? Like the word says that our days are a vapor. We're, we're a breath. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. Like, like, our days are few. For some of us, our days are few and evil. Our days are a journey. Our days are, or we're sojourning here on the earth. Whether we live for 10 years or whether we live for 100 years, in the span of eternity, it's brief on this earth. So every single one of us will breathe our last. Every single one of us, as, as we've read through Genesis, we've seen generations come through. We've seen patriarchs come and go, right? We, we are seeing people born and seeing people live and seeing people die, and we're reminded that, man, life is short here on this earth. Our days are few and evil, but yet we're going to spend eternity somewhere. We're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell, and for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we know we have hope beyond the grave. We have joy now. We have peace now. We have hope now because of what our Lord has done. We know that this world is not our home. We just, just like Egypt was a temporary home for the Israelites, we know that right here and now, this is not our home. The Israelites were aliens and strangers in a foreign land, and that's what we're supposed to be. Christians, we're supposed to be aliens and strangers in a pagan land today, lights in the darkness. Sojourners, temporarily travelers walking through a broken world. So as we continue to to work through this text, we're going to read verses 13 through 26, and we're going to see Joseph exercising leadership in times of crisis. We're gonna see his economic recovery plan or his, his bread distribution plan, if you will, right? This is what we're gonna read right here in God's word. Now, there was no food in all of the land for the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all of the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all of the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I'll give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. And so they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all of their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Pay attention to whose idea this is. By us, and our land for food, and be with our land. We will be your servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all of the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day brought you and your land for Pharaoh, and now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own as seed for the... Uh, from the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be your servants to Pharaoh. And so Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth and the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. So here in this passage, we see Joseph's wisdom as he's leading in a time of crisis. We see him not just give free handouts to people. Because he knows that wouldn't be good. Derek Kidner says this. He says, it was axiomatic. That's a really large word I learned this week. uh, Called, it means unquestionable. So it's unquestionable in the ancient world that one paid one's way so long as one had anything to part with, including, in last resort, one's liberty. Israel's law accepted this principle while modifying it with the right of redemption. And so the famine was so severe that the Egyptians were reduced to tenant farmers themselves. The idea of slaves, of them being slaves, was not Joseph's idea. This wasn't Joseph's suggestion. This wasn't Pharaoh's idea. This was the people's idea, right? The people voluntarily said this. They needed food to live. They knew that, and they knew that if they offered themselves to Joseph, that they would still live because he would give them food, and they knew that with Joseph's forethought, like, This guy's solid. He cares for us. And so, praise you. Why? You saved our lives. They're not begrudgingly doing this. In verse 25, they praise him. And they said, you saved our lives. We are thankful. Now, this is super hard for us to comprehend, right? Like, living in America. This is really difficult for us to understand. It seems harsh. It seems like this is a dictator move, on Joseph or Pharaoh's part, but it's not. To give the bread away without work or payment would have stagnated the society. The economy would have been slowed down. Joseph gave the people work to do. He gave them seed to sow, to work in the land. As servants, he gave them self-respect because he didn't want the Egyptian economy to collapse. He wanted it to thrive. And as much As people complain about work, we were created to work. As much as people complain about it, there's honor in hard work. And Joseph knew that. And when we live and work today, like we live and we work in an economy where bosses and owners of companies and businesses and politicians are far from God. Much like in a pagan land of Egypt. But today, we've enjoyed relative freedom in America. But from time to time, laws are passed, rules are, are passed down that rub us the wrong way. Or maybe it's because we have different values and different principles. But we have to remember as followers of Jesus that we can respect those in authority over us, handle our responsibilities, work hard, because Christians should be The best workers in the workforce. Because we need to realize that we're working unto the Lord, not whoever our boss is or whoever our company is. But if there's a law or a rule that's passed down in our company or in our land that's unbiblical or unethical or immoral, we don't obey that law because we submit to a higher authority. We submit to the Word of God, He is our ultimate authority. And so as believers, as lights in a dark world, we should really be the hardest workers. We should really be those who complain the, less, the, the least amount. Right? We should really be those who grumble, not at all. We should really be such good workers that people wonder, why are you so happy at work? I don't understand your joy. You seem to walk around lighter like you don't understand that, like what's going on, our, our world's crumbling, our society's falling apart, like everything's in an uproar, everything's chaotic. How do you have such peace? And it's amazing in this text, when you think about it, to see the contrast between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Egyptians are in their homeland and they're turned into slaves. The Israelites are in a foreign land and they're free, they're prospering, they're cared for, they're foreigners, strangers, aliens, yet they have all that they need. The freedom we have in Christ as sojourners in this land contrasts sharply with the slavery that we see all around us with those in our world who do not know the Lord, and the only reason they're living is for the things of this land and the things in this world, not looking to the one to come. Let's pick up in verse 27, and we'll see that the narrative shifts gears. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob's life, the years of his life were 147 years. So in one chapter, it jumped from 130 to 147 years. So covering a lot in one chapter here. Genesis is coming to a close quickly. God graciously gave Jacob 17 more years with Joseph and with his sons and with his grandchildren, getting to see them prosper, and grow, and be fruitful, and multiply. It's interesting to think about this. Jacob spent the first 17 years of Joseph's life with him, and then he would never, ever, ever again get back the 22 years that they were separated. But then what does God do? God gives him graciously 17 more years with Joseph before he dies. It says, Joseph's going to close your eyes when you breathe your last. So Israel was fruitful and multiplied. Today, believers, we are called to be fruitful and multiply. We're called to live, work, and play unto the Lord as sojourners in this land. We're called to pray for our leaders in this country. Agree or disagree with their policies, they're still people. And we're called to pray for them. Because as people created in the image of God, They will stand before King Jesus when they breathe their last, just like you and I will. They'll stand before the King, and they'll have to give an account for how they lived their lives, just like you and I will. We will all breathe our last. We'll all have to give an account for how we live our lives. All the decisions we've made, what we've done with the few and evil days of our lives, we have to give an account. And the word of God is clear, that he will not be mocked, that you reap what you sow. So like Jacob, the days of the years of our life will come to an end as we wrap up this chapter in verse 29 through 31. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in this burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said to him, swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And so Jacob wanted to make sure That Joseph would take his body after he's breathed his last, after Joseph has closed Jacob's eyes. Jacob says, swear to me that you won't bury me here in this land, but that you'll bury me with my fathers. And remember Machpelah? Remember that land, that plot of land that Abraham bought in the cave, right, in Canaan? Bury me there, okay? And in verse 30, it says, let me lie with my fathers. That's what it says in the ESV. In the CSB, it says, when I rest with my fathers. And then in the NRSV, it says, when I lie down with my ancestors. That's actually a closer translation to the original Hebrew, because what Jacob is saying is he knows that that's not my final resting place, right? When I die, that's not the end. I'm going to be with my ancestors, but my physical body will be laid with them, but I have hope beyond the grave, I'm gonna be with those who've gone before me who've walked in faith. And so it's very interesting, this last line. Look at the last verse, verse 31. At the end of that verse, it says bed. But that word in Hebrew can also be translated staff. So it could say that Jacob bowed his head on his staff. And what a picture that is of a weary traveler, of a sojourner at the end of his days, bowing his head over his staff because he was a traveler to the end of his days, because he wasn't settling in the land. He wasn't getting comfortable because we are sojourners if we're in Christ. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're foreigners. This world is not our home. We aren't meant to be comfortable here. The longer we live here, the more uncomfortable we should be. As sojourners in this land, our values don't match up with those who live in the kingdom of this world. Why? Because our Lord and our master has given us different values. That's why our morals, our values, our principles to live by don't align with the ones in this world. The law of our land has failed and will fail. But God's word stands forever. It will always come to pass. And we cannot forget that. But Jesus is our perfect example always. And he was a temporary traveler coming through this world. He sojourned as well in a distant land, in a broken world. And his days were few and he experienced a lot of evil. Let me close with this quote from Ian Duguid. He says, If anyone ever had the right to characterize the days of the years of his sojourn as nasty, brutish, and short, it was Jesus. Yet we see none of Jacob's bitterness in Jesus, but rather a constant spirit of thankfulness for his father's good gifts, submission to the bitter aspects of his father's will, and forgiveness for those who sinned against him. He took these great and lasting affliction upon himself for us so that we, his family, might receive the blessings that we had forfeited through our sin and might enjoy life beyond this life, a true home at the end of our earthly sojourn. Through Christ, God's mercy now rests on aliens and strangers from all nations as they come to God and receive in him eternal rest for their souls. Hey, Red Oak, We are called to be lights in a dark world, remembering that we today are sojourners, maintaining the perspective that we should have that this life is short, it's brief. Our days are few, we're temporary travelers passing through a foreign land. And if we keep our gaze transfixed on Jesus, who did it perfectly, then we will end well. Standing up with faith, remembering that he's always with us till the end. Let's pray. Father God, your word is true. And in your word, you remind us that we should do all things without grumbling and complaining, that there shouldn't be fighting or bickering amongst ourselves but that we should remember that we are your children. We should remember that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And because we are your children, because you have poured out your love and your grace and your mercy on us, because you have given us your peace, because you've provided for us, we should be like stars shining in a dark night. I pray that we would not forget who we are. That we would not forget what you have done. That we would not forget that you see us, you know us, you have provided for us. No matter what we're going through right now, no matter if we don't know how we're going to get through what we're currently going through, no matter what is before us that we don't see yet, you know, you have provided, you have prepared a way. I pray that we would trust you because you are good, you are faithful, and you are true. We praise you for your mercies that are new every day. Help us to not take them for granted, to live every day as sojourners, and to point to Jesus, our great God and King and Savior. And It's in your name that we pray. Amen.